pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It's living, it's active, it has the power to change us. We thank you, Lord God, that the word of God goes forth and it doesn't return void. I pray in the name of Jesus that the word of God would go forth today and that it would yield fruit in the name of Jesus, that we would see ourselves empowered, transformed, changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' name I pray and everyone said amen and amen. Wanted to share this morning a little bit of my testimony, church. Some of you may have heard it, but I gave my life to Christ when I was 18 years old. I just finished my last year at college, and I had had a reasonably successful year in the eyes of the world. I was in the leadership of the school, doing pretty well academically. I was playing and had for many years top-level hockey in Auckland. I played against Black Sticks fairly regularly. I had great friends. I had a lot of fun. I was about to go to university, and I was really excited about that because I was studying my favorite subject, which was English. And you might be sitting here saying, well, Haley, you're painting a very rosy picture. And the truth is the picture was reasonably rosy. Like things were going sort of well in my life. My testimony isn't a story of the wheels falling off my life and me coming to Jesus. Actually, it was quite the opposite. Things were going quite well in my life. And that's what alerted me to my need of Jesus because even though things were going well, it still wasn't enough. And I remember I bought a, a CD, a Brooke Fraser CD, because my friend came to me one day and he said, Haley, I love Brooke, Brooke Fraser. And I said, so do I. And I didn't at that stage. So I had to buy a CD to make my lie truth. That's not integrity, okay? I just want you to know. So I bought the CD and it was a turning point in my life. For two days, I sat alone in my room listening to that CD over and over again. And one of the lyrics in one of the songs said, what do I live for? for two days, I thought, what do I live for? What do I live for? And I realized that no matter what way I tried to spin it, ultimately, I was living for myself. I was living for my own glory. And if I continued to live that way, then my life wouldn't really count for much. Because a life lived for self is a small life. And I came out of those two days knowing two things completely, totally like they were etched in my heart. I knew that I didn't care what I did with my life as long as I could look back and say that I'd helped people. And then I knew, and I can't tell you how I knew this, that I needed to go to church. And so I texted a friend and I said, hey, can I come along to your youth group? Because I wanted to go to a youth group. And he texted me back and he said, youth group is closed for summer. Now, evangelism 101. If someone reaches out to you and wants to know Jesus, don't say, get back to me in two months, okay? But two months later, he did text me and he said, youth group has started back. And so I went along. And there are a few things about that night that I remember vividly. One was a song, a worship song that they did that actually I found out later, Pastor Sharon co-wrote. And it included the lyric, I choose to live or die for you. And in that moment, I saw it. I saw a purpose that was bigger than myself, a purpose that was worthy of me giving my life for, me spending my life on. And I gave my life to Christ that night. You see, I think that within every human being is an innate desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. There's an innate desire in all of us for our lives to count for something, to mean something, to be part of something more. You look across human history and you find time and time again that human beings have given their lives for revolutions and uprisings and protest movements because within all of us 
something. I want to have an impact on planet Earth. I want to be part of something that is bigger than myself. This is the good news for the believer. Because the promise of God is that if you are in Christ, if you are submitted to his headship, you are part of something that is so much bigger than you. You are part of something that is grand, and yet within that bigness, you still have a part to play. See, the truth is, is that we are part of something that is infinitely bigger than ourselves. We are part of a story that has encompassed history. We are part of a movement that has never stopped moving. We are part of a plan that has stretched all the way round the globe to encompass every believer of every nationality, every ethnicity, every culture, everywhere. We are part of something big. And yet within that big thing that we are part of, we still have a part to play. Because there's very few things more discouraging than being part of something big and yet feeling like you don't have a part to play. I remember when I was young, I played age group hockey for Auckland, under 15s, and we went to a tournament. Our biggest rival was Waikato, and we were playing against them, and we needed to beat them in order to progress to the next round. And uh, we did. We won 1-0. It was a close game, and we only barely got over the line. But the thing was that I sat on the, the bench the entire way through the game. I didn't get 10 seconds on the field, let alone 10 minutes. And you know, the thing is, in hockey, there's rolling subs. Like, there's not an opportunity to go on and go off. No, no, you can roll the subs the entire... There was no reason for me not to get on the field. And I remember at the end of the game, they blew the final whistle, and all my teammates erupted in happiness. And I did too, just to fit in. But the truth was that inside, I was gutted. Because I knew I had been part of something great. And yet within that, I hadn't had a part to play. See, the promise for the believer is that you and I are part of something great. And yet within that, we each have a part to play. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. It says, there is one body, but it has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body. It is the same with Christ. Here is the promise for the believer. You are part of one body, the body of Christ, a body whose mission to bring heaven to earth will extend for all of time, a body whose membership encompasses every ethnicity, every believer, every tribe, and every tongue, every person everywhere, and whose destiny is to be presented to Jesus as his bride, radiant and spotless with no wrinkle or blemish. Come on, somebody. We are part of something big. And yet, within that bigness, it is one body with many parts. In other words, part of that bigness is that you have a part to play. See, there are two promises within the Scripture. The first promise is one of unity. We are one body. But the second promise is one of diversity. We have many parts. You better believe today that we have one purpose. We have one Lord. We have one faith. We have one baptism. We are part of one body. And yet within that oneness, we are many. 
And diverse friend means difference. In other words, invited into this body isn't your similarity. Come on, somebody. It's your difference. It's your diversity. Can I say today that there is no true unity without diversity, and there is no true diversity without unity. Can I say today that unity without diversity is uniformity? It's when we have to squash our differences, put on a uniform, think the same, talk the same, look the same in order to fit in. That is not true unity. That is uniformity. But on the flip side of that, there's no true diversity without unity. Unity without, excuse me, diversity without unity is anarchy. That's one person taking a walk. Have you ever noticed that in order to be different and diverse, you need to be in the presence of other people? You can't be different or diverse by yourself. You're just yourself. See, I really felt a word for this church. I really believed, and we were praying, Pastor Don and I were praying the other day, and I felt from the Lord, this is not a church of mavericks. This is a church of pioneers. We are not a church where people are out there forging their own path, doing their own thing. That is not true diversity. No, no, no. We are pioneers. We're not forging our own way. We're forging ahead on a mission that has started since the beginning of time. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. There is no true diversity without unity. There is one body and it has many parts. Let me break down those two statements for you. There is one body. Here's the key. That body is centered around the work of Christ. That body is centered around Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We were all baptized by one Holy Spirit, and so we are formed into one body. It doesn't matter if we're Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. We were all given the same spirit to drink. When it's talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit here, it's not talking about the traditional Pentecostal understanding of this term. It's referencing baptism as the immersion of the believer into the death and the resurrection of Christ. It's talking about the believer's identification that my life went under the waters with Christ and I rose again in Him as a brand new creation. Behold, the old has passed and the new has come. This is talking about our identification with His work. Now it says that when we identify ourselves with His work, when we find ourselves in His work, then we are formed into the body. Note it doesn't say this. Do a human work. Act the same. Look the same. Like the same worship songs and then you will be one body. It's not about human work. This is about God's work. I identify myself in Christ, and in the moment that I do, I am part of the one body. Hear me today. The body of Christ is not a goal. It's a reality. This is not something we're becoming or working towards because it's not based on human work. I find myself in His work, and then I'm formed into one body. It's not a goal. This, my friends, is a reality. This is fundamental for us understanding unity and diversity. See, let me tell you what happens when the church unifies around something other than the person of Christ. Uniformity happens. Come with me now. The second service didn't like this. That's when you come into a church service and everyone's part of the same age group. Everyone is from the same culture. 
Everyone likes the same style of music. Oh, you can't go to this church unless you like gospel. It's when everyone has the same theological bent or hobby horse. Friend, that is not unity. That is uniformity. It is a sign and a symptom that a church has unified around something other than the person of Christ. Because the last I checked, the church of Jesus Christ was a church that embraces diversity. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every gift mix, every personality type, every generation giving praise and honor to the Savior who deserves it all. Come on, somebody. I need to tell you today that we can have different interests and yet still be united in our love and submission to Jesus. We can have different passions and still be united in our love and submission to Jesus. We can have, get this, we can like different worship songs. Champion can be your least favorite song. And yet we are still unified in our love and submission to Jesus Christ. Because we are not centered around a human work. Actually, ooh, our diversity actually points to Jesus. Because if you and I can be different and yet united, diverse and yet united, not the same and yet united, that speaks to a work that is greater than ours. It points people to Christ. Our difference tells the world that we are His. Because the world unites around commonality and the church unites around Christ. We are one body. And in that body, there are many parts. There is one body. There is unity. But within that, there is diversity. In the context of 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul is using this body metaphor, the diversity he is speaking about is primarily around giftings. He references other types of diversity. He talks about cultural diversity. That's why he says Jews and Gentiles. He talks about socioeconomic diversity. That's why he talks about slaves and free. But the primary implication of this passage is that he's talking about diversity of gifting. He uses, interestingly, both gifts and offices in his discussion on this. So he talks about some gifts of the Spirit, which is where the Spirit manifests for healing or miracles or prophetic words or those sorts of things. But he also uses offices. Offices, offices aren't about the one-time manifestation or the repeated manifestation. It's more talking about a role that someone would hold the entire lifetime. Teacher, pastor, evangelist, apostle. Those are examples of offices. And when Paul writes this passage, he's saying that Within the body, there will be a diversity of both gifting and office. There will be a diversity of gifting and role. There are two key implications that you and I need to take from this. The first is that if you are a believer, if you are submitted to the headship of Christ and under the sound of my voice right now, anyone, you have a part to play. You have a part. Let me say it again. If you are submitted to Christ in this room, under the sound of my voice right now, you have a part to play. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 15 to 20. Suppose the foot says, I'm not a hand, so I don't belong to the body. 
I don't know why I'm being a bit dramatic with this. I didn't do that in either of the first two services. I'm going to stop that right now, okay? Just go back to reading the words. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. And suppose the ear says, I'm not an eye, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that would be scary. That's not what the text says. How could it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how could it smell? God has placed each part in the body just as he wanted it to be. If all the parts were the same, how could there even be a body? As it is, there are many parts, but there's only one body. See, in this passage, Paul is taking aim at an attitude that isolates different parts of the body. The foot disqualifies itself because it's not a hand. The ear disqualifies itself because it's not an eye. Friend, if you feel different to the rest of the body, hear me, that does not disqualify you. You are not disconnected. You are not any less necessary. You are just diverse. And that's the entire way the body of Christ was created. See, the truth is, is that so often when you have a gift mix or an office, what that gives you is a different perspective, a different way of looking at things. See, someone with an evangelism gifting has a much different perspective of, say, for example, the Sunday service than someone who has a shepherding or a pastoral gift. And I say that no perspective is more important than the other. They are all necessary to making the body helpful. See, the truth is, is that each of us have a perspective. We have a way of looking at things. None more important, none any less necessary. We all have a bent and the role of the body is for each of us to bring our different perspectives to the body. And then when all are on the table, then we find a place of balance. Then we are healthy. So many people are out here trying to be balanced in their own self. Friend, own the fact that you are gifted, that you are entrusted with something. And so what that gives you is a bent. What that gives you is a perspective. The role of the body is not that we would all find balance in and of ourselves, but that we would bring our perspectives together in mutual submission and in a respectful way. And then in the midst of that, the body would be healthy. The body would be balanced. As everyone brings their lens, their perspective that is no more valuable than the other, together we would find a place of balance. But that is not what the body does. Instead, this is what we do. We have a meeting of all the ears. All the ears get together and they discuss how the body isn't hearing well enough. And then all the eyes over here, they all get together and they discuss how the body isn't seeing well enough. And then all the noses get together over here and have a discussion about how the, nose, the body isn't smelling well enough. And in the midst of all that, the body is left with our eyes, ears or noses because we are refusing to take our perspectives where they need to go. See, the truth is that together, friends, with every viewpoint, together 
with every voice, together with us playing every part, then we come to a place of balance. Hear me today, you have a part to play. Without your part, no one's speaking it. You have a part to play. So you also have a gift to give. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says this, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, it is just the opposite. The parts of the body that seem weaker are actually the parts that we can't do without. The parts that we think are less important, we treat with special honor. The private parts aren't shown, but they are treated with special care. The parts be can, that can be shown don't need special care. But God has put together all parts of the body, and he has given more honor to those that didn't have any. And that way, the parts of the body will not take sides. All of them will take care of one another. If one part suffers, everyone suffers. If one part is honored, everyone shares in its joy. Friend, no matter where you are on your faith journey, whether you gave your heart to Jesus yesterday or you've been walking with him five years, whether you have no influence or much, whether you are schooled or unskilled, no matter where you came from, if you have submitted your life to Christ, you have a gift to give. You have a part to play. Look at how the scripture starts. It says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Friend, let me tell you that believing that you don't need help from other members of the body, that is immaturity. I'm going to say that again because that is important. No matter how mature you are, how long you've been in the faith, how many times you've read Leviticus, believing that you don't need help from the body is not a sign and a symptom of maturity. Actually, it's a sign and a symptom of immaturity. Because the Bible is clear. We are not complete without each other. We need one another. Actually, church, what this is a picture of is mutual dependence. Mutual dependence under submission to Christ. Let me press you further. You might even uh, need help from members who you perceive are weaker than you. Look at what the scripture says. It says, the weaker parts are even more necessary. Let me take aim at one more attitude. It is immaturity to pick and choose what parts of the body you'll receive help from. I'm going to say that again. It is immaturity to pick and choose what parts of the body you will receive help from. I don't need them because they've only just got saved. I don't need them because I've been reading my Bible longer. I don't need them because they're young and they've got nothing that they could say to me. Is that what Scripture says? No, it says that the weaker parts are even more necessary. And so maturity acknowledges that no matter where you are on your faith journey, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your background says, no matter how much you know or don't know, whether you've only got one Scripture that you got memorized, but you walk in that for all it's worth, you have a gift to give. And it would be immaturity for another member of the body to say, I don't need your help. Because that is not how God 
transformed us. We need one another. We are one body. Come on, somebody. But we have many parts. We are unified in purpose. We are unified in mission. But we are diverse in gifting. We're not the same. See, the truth is this. If you can be helped by someone who is more immature than you, how many people know that God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise anyway? Because it was never about, come on somebody, human work, human gift, human understanding. It was all about the work of Jesus. And so if I get helped by someone who got saved yesterday, how much more will my Savior get the glory? And isn't it all actually about Him? This got convicting quick. I'm going to reverse all the way out of this and finish it with something nice. The truth is this. We're one body. We're many parts. God has spoken great things over this church. He is about to break out in our midst. I believe it. He is about to do something in this community. You want to talk about using the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That is going to be the story of our community. When God breaks out in this community like people have never seen before, this is the center of revival. This is the center of a move of God. I believe it. And listen, I don't want you to be sitting on the benches when that moment comes. If uh, Sharon could join me on the keys, I recently watched a a Netflix series called The Last Dance. And uh, it wasn't about dancing. It was actually about basketball. And it was about the Chicago Bulls and uh, that great Chicago Bulls team that had like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And I watched a particular episode that really, really spoke to me actually. It was in the season where Michael Jordan went and played baseball. And so in that season, Scottie Pippen became like the superstar of the team. He was the one who carried the team on his shoulders and they got all the way into the playoffs and they were in a game and the game had two seconds left on the shot clock and the Bulls needed to make a shot in order to win the game in advance. And they came into a timeout and the timeout, uh, the coach did something in the timeout that Scottie Pippen wasn't expecting. He thought, you know, I'm the star. Like, I'm the person who's carrying the team when Michael Jordan isn't here. And so he's like, I should take the last shot. But the coach did something different. He said, Tony Kukoc, who was another player on the team, he's going to take the last shot. And Scottie Pippen got offended. He said, I'm not going out on the court. He benched himself. He said, I'm not going to play because I should be the one taking the last shot. And so the Chicago Bulls ran out onto the floor for that last two seconds without Scottie Pippen, who was their leader, with them. Because he set himself on the bench. Tony Kukoc made the shot. The Chicago Bulls won the game. But Scottie Pippen wasn't on the floor to share in the victory. I'm talking to any believer who has put themselves on the bench. I'm talking to any believer who perhaps out of offense, perhaps you feel like you've been made to feel unimportant, unnecessary, like you're not needed. So you said, I'm not going to play at all. And in every service I felt, I didn't have this in my notes, but in every service I felt to say as a representative of the church, if that was you, and you were made to feel unnecessary and unimportant, I'm sorry. That was not God's intention, and that is not a picture of Jesus' church. But can I say, it's time to get back in the game.
because there is a community to be won. And to win it, it's going to take a mobilized, empowered church. I believe we can win South Auckland for Jesus, but it's going to take everyone. I believe we can do church like the book of Acts, where it says there was no lack or no need among them, but it's going to take everyone. I believe that miracles, signs, and wonders can break out in this church, but it's going to take everyone. I believe that we can be a place where our community come to to find freedom, but it's going to take everyone. I believe that we can do authentic community, but it's going to take everyone. Actually, it's going to take one body, which has many parts, one purpose fulfilled through a diversity of gifting. There are things that have been spoken over this church, but we are under no illusions that they cannot be fulfilled by those who sit on the front row. Actually, it's going to be fulfilled by everyone back from there. It's going to take a mobilized, empowered church. It's going to take the church being the church, one body, many parts. I know that this is a reasonably challenging message, but it has a relatively practical touch point. See, this isn't the message that you pray away. This isn't the message that we have the ministry moment after. This is the message that we go out and do something. And so I want to give you some practical steps. If you're saying, yep, I need to step up. I want to come off the bench. A couple of things you could do. You could attend Growth Track, which starts on the 7th of Feb with Jake, and they do in that course spiritual gift tests which help you find your fit. But perhaps you've already done Growth Track and you're like, I don't really know what my step is. Can I encourage you, get a meeting with Julie or Kerry or Jake or Don or Tiles or Kaylin. Get a meeting and say this. Say, I'm good fruit because you are. I have a part to play because you do. I have a gift to give. Say, I'm good fruit, but even good fruit will spoil if it falls to the ground. And so we better pick you up and place you in the spot that God ordained for you. Get a meeting and say, I'm good fruit, and I want to do something for the extension of the kingdom. Listen to me. What that might mean is that you will not end up in a volunteer capacity. Because your gift and your role actually might be far more diverse than that. And so actually the role of the church will not be to say, come and serve on car park or come and serve on sound team. Perhaps the role of our team will be to say this, we believe in the good thing that's on your life. We believe in the gift and talent that is on your life. We believe in the impact you could have in our community. And we're going to pray for you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to speak life into you. We're going to get behind you. We're going to let the church be the church. Do you know this weekend, two and rocks and AJ and Daniel and Tony, amazing people in our church are out at Festival One. They are performing and sharing the gospel. And hear me, that expression of church is no less valid than the expression of church we are doing right now in this room. Do not let your understanding of what church is be so narrow that you can't find a place because you have a part to play.
and you have a gift to give. Your good fruit. It's time to be picked up. Come on, every eye closed, every head bowed. We never like to finish our service without giving people an opportunity to know Jesus. Uh, Perhaps you walked in today and you were like me all those years ago saying, I don't have a purpose, but I feel like I was made for something more. Well, you were. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of all men. You were made for something greater. You were made for peace, for life, for a purpose. You were made for a relationship with God. And today I want to introduce you to him. And so if you're here today, you're saying, this was my first time and I've never given my life to Jesus. Or if you've heard, you know, I've been hearing this gospel time and time again, but the moment is now to make a decision. I'm going to count to three. And at the end of that, I pray that you raise your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, raise your hand. You're saying, today, I want to receive Jesus. Awesome. Church, repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I give my life to Jesus, holding nothing back. I turn from sin. I follow you. Thanks to you, I'm free in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you, church.